0: Our New Testament reading today from the lectionary is from the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. I'm going to read certain verses. This is about Paul's letter to the church at Philippi that he wrote from prison, trying to encourage his church as he was imprisoned, but they were free to continue to spread the gospel. And he was trying to teach his church in this way. He writes, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. He's starting to tell us his story. A member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, he's talking about his past, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Now, that's a lot. But there's a little more. And we'll talk more about this in the sermon. He goes on to say in verses 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, he says in verse 13. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Here ends the reading. Hear what the spirit is saying to the church in the sanctuary. But know that we will continue to broadcast um, online is here to stay. So if you are at home, don't worry. We're going to continue to broadcast. Um, that's part of our future now, but we also want you to know that we're grateful for those of you who are here back in the sanctuary. For me, sometimes I get the last couple of weeks, I've been getting a little emotional up here. It's because it's been so many months since I have seen more than just the worship team in the sanctuary. So really, really grateful for all of you who are here today. I want to also thank our our AV team and our worship band. I say often this is the best worship band in the city of Columbus, but would you all please give them some love online and some applause here in the sanctuary? I just hate for us not to take time to really celebrate all that we have here. Today's message is called The Race of a Lifetime, and there are a number of ways to think about that. But first, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, there are so many election signs and bumper stickers out there right now, but my favorites are not necessarily always the political ones. So I wanted to start today just to, with a little levity to share a couple. If you have some good bumper stickers that you've seen, share them online with us. But I like the one that said, honk, if you like peace and quiet. There was another one that I saw yesterday that said, never hit a man with glasses, hit him with a baseball bat. There was a good political one yesterday. It said, in America, anyone can be president. That's one of the risks that you take. And then, you know, bikers often have people riding on the back of the bikes, and there was a biker who had a jacket, and on the back it said, if you can read this, my wife fell off. I thought that one was good. And then there was one that sums up a key dilemma in life, especially during the pandemic, and it said, boldly going nowhere. Boldly going nowhere. And especially during this disillusionment phase of the pandemic, which we talked about last week and last week's sermon, this phase of disaster recovery can feel like a forever phase. It can feel like we are boldly going nowhere, like the political supporters who were riding around in circles yesterday on 270, causing fender benders and all sorts of mayhem that didn't really seem to amount to anything positive. And then, while the rest of us are slogging through our own pandemic fatigue and disillusionment and wondering how we're all going to make it through the fall and the winter, the COVID-19 virus strikes down President Trump in a way that is practically biblical, people. I mean, like Old Testament thunderbolts of lightning from Charlton Heston, biblical. Can I get an amen? I always warn people, clergy warn people, do not tempt fate because fate has a very clear way of biting back. Don't tempt fate. So I just want to review for a minute. Let's just take a minute and settle in and review for a minute. Do you remember the presidential debate and the unmasking of the interpreter-in-chief and his family? Raise your hand in the sanctuary. Let us know online. Do you remember how the president made fun of Joe Biden for wearing a mask and the Trump family refused to wear their masks during the debate, even though a Cleveland clinic clinician offered them masks when they took theirs off and they refused to wear them, even though the rules that everyone had agreed to ahead of time was that everyone had to wear masks? Do you remember the recent revelation about how little Donald Trump paid in taxes, especially now that he is enjoying taxpayer-funded medical care. Do you remember that? Raise your hand or let us know online if you remember that. Do you remember the nomination of someone new for the US Supreme Court seat to replace the vacated seat um, uh, due to the untimely death of the iconic Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Raise your hand if you remember that. and Let us know online. I share this because these events all happened within just the past week or so. This is basically one week in our country's history. So just let that sink in for a minute. And then just as quickly, as we think about all these events, they receded into our memory like a shot with the revelation that Trump on Friday had tested positive for COVID-19. And then like Watergate... The kid, child of Watergate, it was like Watergate, it was what did he know and when did he know it? I think that's going to be the what we're all going to ask in the weeks to come. What did he know and when did he know it? Because like Whack-A-Mole on Twitter, I made the mistake of trying to follow Twitter, it was like Whack-A-Mole, as the Whack-A-Mole news kept popping up about who was testing positive and who was testing negative in our government and then the Republican Party. And among all those people who attended that Rose Garden event, that now looks like a super spreader event because so many people were not wearing masks. There was a picture that I put on my Facebook page. I encourage you to look at it where historically I don't think the picture is going to age well because it shows all these people sitting in the Rose Garden too close to each other without masks during a pandemic that had already killed 200,000 people. That picture is not going to age well. But substantial news right now is rushing past us at the speed of light. And we barely have time to absorb the details in our brains and brains that are already bombarded by what we call the daily static of pandemic life. I really appreciated Hank's metaphor that the pandemic is like this constant static that at first is so irritating and we eventually get used to it, but we forget how much energy it's taking for us to rise above that and, and keep functioning. Plus, I saw that COVID cases, this just happened this week, COVID cases are now up 23% in Ohio. Did you see that statistic? They're up 23% in Ohio. And I had to ask why. And I saw that Nicholas Kristof wrote, wrote this just, I think it was yesterday in the New York Times. Because people all over the world, like we just talked about last week, people not just in Ohio, but all over the world are suffering from pandemic fatigue. Can I get an amen online? Raise your hand in the sanctuary. People are suffering from pandemic fatigue. Because honestly, most people are sick of isolation. We crave human contact. We want and need hugs in our life. We are social animals, and the deadly coronavirus exploits that instinct in us. We are all becoming more lax as the months go by, particularly in parts of the country where the virus maybe never hit all that hard, people didn't lose friends, or see refrigerator trucks parked outside of our local hospitals to carry all the bodies. If we're not in those parts of the country, we've become a little lax. The problem is, as Nicholas Kristof reminds us, being lax can be lethal, as the president of the United States found out on Friday. Because if the president of the United States, with all of the security and medical science that he has at his disposal, if the president can catch this thing, that means that we all can catch it. Now, has your anxiety just gone like right up here? As we think about that, that if someone with all that security, all that medical care can catch it, that means any one of us can catch it. So while we wrestle with the president's reckless disregard for the health and safety of the people he serves, as he receives the best medical care in the world while trying to strip away affordable care from those who can least afford it, can I get an amen, and the rest of us have once again been stopped in our tracks by the power and the paradox of this pandemic, we have to wonder if we are headed in the right direction during this race of a lifetime. I keep going back to John Barry's important historical work on the 1918 pandemic. You you all know I mention this book a lot. I hope you read it by John Barry called The Great Influenza. It is history written, more like novel, but it's really, really good. And he writes in there, I keep going back. I marked this when I read it because I said, this is just going to keep coming back in a sermon. And it has. It just keeps coming back in my sermons. He writes, if there is a single dominant lesson from 1918, it is that the government needs to tell the truth in a crisis. You can't manage the truth. You tell the truth. Society cannot function if it is every man for himself. By definition, civilization can't survive that. I keep thinking that it will be our historians, our AP government teachers who taught generations of students. It is going to be those students and those teachers and those historians that actually save us by reminding us not to repeat history. Because the time has come for us to run in a new direction in this country and in our lives, lest we become comfortably numb to our preventable reality due to pandemic fatigue. The time has come for us to run in a new direction unless we want fear and chaos to remain the norm in our society as we wrestle with this chaotic political cycle. The time has come for us to run in a new direction unless we want hate to trump hope. And the time has come for us to run in a new direction unless we want to keep running in place while evil triumphs. This is not a new existential issue. And in this regard, we have much in common with the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago. I mentioned this last week as we began preaching on this material, that despite all of the technological and other advances of the last 2,000 years, Human nature hasn't changed all that much, and we still wrestle with life's proverbial questions. Well, I want to do a little teaching because I think these timeless scriptures will help us in this period of history that we're in. The apostle Paul did not want his beloved church members in Philippi to allow their history to control their destiny. Because he knew that God intended more for their future than they could possibly imagine. Paul had not allowed his personal history as Saul, the Christian persecutor. How many of you know about Paul's conversion? He was Saul before he was Paul. That's another great story to read in the book of Acts today as part of your spiritual discipline. I believe it's in chapter 9 of Acts. But Paul had not allowed his history as Saul to control his destiny to become the apostle paul the father of the early christian church and no matter what problems you have with paul and certain clobber passages i will help you with those let me know if those are keeping you from getting in the way of your understanding of paul but don't let them don't let other people taking a couple of clobber passages about paul keep you from living into the fact that he was the father of the early christian church and he was trying to teach his people how to Create Loving Communities. Paul didn't want his church members to allow their past to thwart God's future for their lives and God's future for their church at the western-most edge of civilization. That's where Philippi was. It was at the westernmost edge of civilization at that time. So to accomplish this task, Paul used a metaphor in his letter to the Philippians that is dominant throughout his writings. He wrote that faith in Jesus Christ, or becoming like Jesus, is like running a race. It's like running a marathon. And this spiritual race of life is not some 50-yard dash for a fake gold medal or a stay-in-place treadmill exercise of faith. Instead, this is the race of a lifetime, and that's the title of today's sermon. It's the race of a lifetime. It's the race of a lifetime that seeks a prize that matters more than anything else in all the world, which is to become the person, to become the church that God wants and needs us to be in this world. So to explain this life journey, Paul first recounted his own religious history as Saul, the well-credentialed Pharisee, meaning religious leader, and persecutor of the early Jesus Church. And Paul could have stayed Saul, the lawyer and persecutor, the rest of his life and retired comfortably from that. But instead, on a road called Damascus, Paul was blinded by events and struck down. And in his blinded weakness, Paul was carried to safety and cared for by one of Jesus' people, a man named Ananias. How many of you have even heard of Ananias? Yes, yes, we have some folks here. If you don't know the story of Ananias, just read the scriptures as part of your discipline. Just just take a look at that this week. Learn more about Ananias. He plays a really pivotal role in our history as Christians. And because of Ananias, Paul came to a new understanding of Christ and everything that he experienced. And his name changed from Saul to Paul is an exegetical exercise for another day. Unless you raise your hand, I'll go through all of that. Seeing no hand. No, John's raising his hand. (laughs) Yes. Hank, if you have any questions about that, Hank is currently in seminary. Text Hank, he will fill you in. But we won't use any more sermon time on that. But the point is, to encourage his congregation in Philippi, Paul reminded the congregation that there was a time when he too had been seeking the wrong prize in life and he had been blindly running in the wrong spiritual direction. So to give you a contemporary example of what Paul is trying to tell his church, I found a football example because, again, it's that time of year, right? Football. And then a 1964 National Football League game Let us know online or raise your hand if you've heard of this example. It's a 1964 National Football League game The Minnesota Vikings defensive lineman, Jim Marshall, he scooped up a fumble by the San Francisco 49ers receiver, and he saw daylight ahead of him on the field. None of the opposing team's red uniforms stood between him and the end zone some 60 yards away. So Jim Marshall, this is a picture of him, he took off running. Well, as running as fast as a big defensive lineman could go, and he was churning down the field in his purple helmet, his purple hat hat, or pants and white jersey, dreaming of touchdowns in his head. Jim Marshall heard the crowd roaring beside him. He saw his teammates running alongside him, waving their arms on the sidelines And Jim Marshall cruised the last few yards in the end zone and he celebrated his touchdown by cheerfully tossing the football up in the stands. This is all recorded on early television. Then a player on the other team from the San Francisco 49ers walked up and gave Jim a big hug and Jim Marshall's eyes were opened. He had just run into the wrong end zone and scored two points for the other guys in red. And when you watch the television replay, again, you go on YouTube, you can find this stuff. When you watch the television replay, you can hear the announcer yelling over and over, he's running the wrong way. He's running the wrong way. Marshall is running the wrong way. All the way is he's running the wrong way, right? The only person in the stadium who didn't realize that Jim Marshall was running the wrong way was Jim Marshall. That's a metaphor for life. Well, the Apostle Paul realized that he had been running the wrong way. He had reached the end zone in life. He had been successful in running for the wrong prize, he thought. But these were false victories. The kind of successes that if you keep having them are actually just going to leave you defeated in the end when you reach the end of your life and you take stock and you wonder what it was all for. But instead, on a different path... Ananias gave Paul a big hug. Paul's eyes were opened. He changed his very spiritual identity, his name, and Christianity exploded. So Paul wanted these new Christians in Philippi to develop these same new eyes, this holy imagination that would let them see the explosive future that God had in store for them. Paul writes in verses 13 through 14, Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we talk about this in terms of keeping our eyes on the prize. These are the kinds of of scriptures that kept people going during the civil rights and other justice movements, keeping our eyes on the prize. In contemporary language, Paul is saying that true spiritual life is about letting go of the past and courageously living into the future. And this life in Christ Jesus is a race of grace. It is not a grind of guilt. I'll say that again. Put that on your fridge. Life in Jesus is a is a race of grace and not a grind of guilt. If only we start running in the right direction, seeking the right prize to become the person and the church that God has called us to be. The good news is that we do not have to make the journey alone. There's an old African proverb that says to run fast, run by yourself, but to run far, run with other people. You know that one? Put that one on your fridge too. To run fast, run by yourself. But to run far, run with other people. So let me end today with a true story from the Seattle Special Olympics. To leave you with hope and a running tip. I thought it was particularly important to share this story again because of everything that's happened in this last week or week and a half in our country where this me-first attitude has gotten us in such trouble. John Barry says it best, that civilization, where was the quote? I'm going to read it again. I'll just read it straight from the book. He writes at page 461, Society cannot function if it is every man for himself. By definition, civilization cannot survive that. And we cannot survive that as a people if our leaders are only out for themselves and not out to help everyone. So let me end with this true story from the Seattle Special Olympics. For the 100-yard dash, there were nine young contestants, all of them with physical or mental disabilities or different abilities. They were differently abled. All nine of the children assembled at the starting line And at the sound of the gun, they took off. But one little boy did not get very far. He stumbled and fell and hurt his knee, and he began to cry. The other eight children were running ahead, and they heard the other little boy cry. They slowed down. They turned around and ran back to him. Every one of those eight kids ran back to the little boy who had stumbled. This is on film too. One little girl with Down syndrome bent down and kissed the little boy who fell and said, this will make it better. This will make it better. I've kissed your boo-boo. The little boy got up And he and the rest of the runners, they linked their arms together and they joyfully walked to the finish line. They all finished the race at the same time. And when they did, everyone in the stadium stood up and clapped and whistled and cheered for a long, long time. People who were there that day are still telling the story with obvious delight. And do you know why? Because deep down, we know that what matters in this life is more than just winning for ourselves. What really matters is helping others win the race of life too. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, your son taught us that justice requires action so that when we don't know which way to run, especially during this pandemic, we can still find a way forward. So forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, we pray, God, that our history does not become our destiny. Instead, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, helping others all along the way as we cross this finish line of life together, leaving no one behind. Thanks be to God. Amen.